This episode contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reported Missing Podcast, where we investigate why Canadians go missing, how it affects society, and what is being done to prevent and respond to the issue. Hi, listener. I'm Becca, a Canadian journalist, missing persons advocate, and your host for this podcast. Today, I'm doing things a little differently. I want to tell you the stories of two Indigenous women who vanished from the same community in Saskatchewan. The first woman was a local. She visited her mom, Diane, at work on July 1st, 2018, Canada Day. Diane recalls seeing her with a bag she always carried around. It was green and black and had all of her belongings in it. Then, sometime between July 10th to 21st, that green and black bag ended up on Diane's front step with no sign of her daughter. The second woman was not a local. She drove four hours in to attend her friend Tristan's funeral. She wanted to be there for his mom, Nicole, so she ended up staying with Tristan's family for a few days. But then, she vanished. These are the stories of Ashley Morin and Tiki Laverdiere. It's July 1st, 2020, Canada Day. Two years since Diane Morin last saw her daughter, Ashley Morin. It's also Tiki Laverdiere's birthday. She would be 27 years old. Tiki lived in Edmonton, Alberta. She was the second youngest of five kids and she was very close with her family. She loved to cook and her salads were everyone's favorite. If you met Tiki for the first time, you would see her introverted side. She wasn't shy around everyone, just people she didn't know and didn't trust yet. But once you got to know her and she considered you a friend, her compassionate and goofy side would come out and she would make you laugh without even trying. But it wasn't so easy to gain her trust. Tiki had been hurt in the past. She had two boys whom she had to raise on her own and they meant the absolute world to her. Tiki had a big heart, but unfortunately, people took advantage of that. In April of 2019, Tiki found out her friend Tristan Cook passed away and it devastated her. She knew she had to be there for his mom, Nicole, so she went to his funeral in Thunderchild First Nation, which is a four-hour drive from Edmonton. She ended up staying with Tristan's cookum, or grandmother, Mavis Quinn to Kakanu. In the meantime, Tiki's two boys stayed with family back in Edmonton. Tristan's funeral was being held on April 27th. She texted her mom to ask how her boys were doing. Her mom texted her back, but Tiki didn't respond. Four days. This was unlike her, so Carol tried to contact her again, multiple times, but Tiki never responded. 
not replying back multiple days in a row was out of character for her. So finally, on May 12th, Tiki was reported missing to North Battleford RCMP. Tiki's mom, Carol, drove to North Battleford as soon as she could to look for her daughter. Hours, days, weeks passed by with no sign of her daughter. Then, one month later, on June 10th, investigators announced Tiki's disappearance was being treated as a homicide, and so was Tristan's death. Tristan was found burned in a vehicle near Vegreville, Alberta, on April 5th. His mom, Nicole, told CBC reporters that her son had a big heart and trusted way too many people. At this time, Nicole pleaded for anyone with information about Tiki's disappearance to come forward. She said, and I quote, It's awful what's happening out there to these young people and it's not fair. It's not fair at all. They didn't even get to live their life. Tiki's mom, Carol, turned to the Aboriginal Friendship Center in North Battleford because she needed help looking for her daughter. With their help, she was connected with Krista Fox, the spokesperson for Ashley Morin's family. A few months ago, I got a message on Facebook. It said, Hi. I would love to speak to you about missing Ashley Morin from North Battleford. I am the family spokesperson. I didn't hesitate and set up an interview with her and Ashley's family that very same day. I couldn't believe that five of Ashley's family members got together that same day to speak with me. Mike, Ashley's cousin, Diane, Ashley's mom, Janine, Ashley's sister... Freda, Ashley's aunt and godmother, Melissa, Ashley's cousin, and Krista, who has helped the family in every way she can, from organizing media interviews to assisting with events, fundraisers, and searches. The fact that they all came together so quickly to talk to me about Ashley told me everything I needed to know about who they are as a family and what Ashley means to them. Ashley doesn't have children of her own, but Mike told me that she is a most loving aunt. She is a type of aunt that would be the first one to show up at the kids' birthday parties and the last one to leave. Her sister Janine also has kids, and she told me Ashley took them as her own. Ashley loves spending time with all her nieces and nephews. I can tell she is very close with her family, but especially with her sister Janine. It was truly heartbreaking watching Janine get emotional as she told me everything she misses about her sister. She's her best friend. If Janine ever needed a ride, she knew who to call. Ashley was there, no questions asked. That's just the type of person she is. Not only is Ashley kind and compassionate, she is an incredible athlete. Ashley's mom told me that at just eight years old, Ashley was playing sports on the boys' teams, but it wasn't the fact that she was a girl that made her stand out. It was the fact that she was the best player on the team. Ashley loves playing hockey, soccer, volleyball, you name it. Sports and her family were her passion. The family was going around the room, taking turns talking to me about what Ashley means to each of them. 
This is a family that has gone great lengths and will continue to, to find Ashley. The amount of setbacks, challenges, and uncertainty that they face only to still be strong and be there for each other is truly remarkable. And that's what stands out the most to me about Ashley's family. On July 1st, 2018, Ashley went to visit her mom, Diane, at work. Ashley was carrying a green and black bag that had all of her belongings like usual. They had a normal mother-daughter conversation, nothing out of the ordinary came up, and then Ashley left. That would be the last time Diane spoke with her or saw her. That wasn't the last day anyone saw her though. The last day anyone, including members of the public, saw Ashley Morin was actually on July 10th. And sometime after Ashley was last seen, her green and black bag mysteriously showed up on Diane's front step. I don't know the date for certain because neither does Ashley's family. Diane told me that she didn't even notice Ashley's bag was dropped off because whoever dropped it off didn't knock. She says her grandkids must have brought the bag inside at some point not thinking anything of it, without telling Diane. So the bag went unnoticed, until Diane saw it in the house around July 22nd. She went through it and inside were Ashley's essentials, her bank cards, wallet, phone. Then she realized she hadn't heard from her daughter in a while. So she immediately started calling everyone she could to see if they knew where Ashley was. No one had seen or spoken to her, and that's when Diane realized Ashley was missing. Ashley's sister Janine and Aunt Freda went to the police station that night and filed a missing persons report. Janine told me that she was a nervous wreck. She couldn't believe her sister could actually be missing. She explained the situation to officers and was given a form to fill out. She had to answer basic questions about Ashley and a description of her. She said in that moment, she felt the officers were compassionate and took her seriously. So although she was worried about her sister, she knew the officers would do their job. But she simply couldn't go to bed without exhausting her options on where to look for Ashley. So she began contacting more and more people on social media. Janine and her cousins got together that night and started brainstorming where Ashley could be. They knew she liked going to casinos and playing on the VLTs. So they went to all the VLTs they could find in town. They went to bars and restaurants trying to find any sign of Ashley. But by the end of the night, they were empty-handed and they were forced to wait for police to contact them on what to do next. Okay, so let's back up here. Someone dropped off Ashley's bag on her mom's front step. I know what you're probably thinking. Who dropped it off? Was it Ashley? Was it someone who knows what happened to her? Is there any way of finding out? So when I asked the family about this, they told me that from their understanding, Ashley's bag was found in a school parking lot. And someone either looked at the address on Ashley's license and dropped it off at her mom's, 
or that person dropped it off at the local RCMP station and an officer dropped it off themselves. It's just weird that if that was the case, they didn't even knock. Like you'd think if it was an officer, they'd at least want to know if Ashley still lived there or to make sure she was okay. And as far as knowing what the truth is, I tried asking police this question, but it went unanswered, so we won't know for certain. The day after Ashley was reported missing, police issued a press release asking the public for help locating Ashley. They said she was last seen in North Battleford on Tuesday, July 10th. They gave out her description, a 31-year-old First Nations woman, 5'2 and 110 pounds with long black hair and brown eyes, and that she was last seen wearing gray sweatpants, a black t-shirt with white writing on it, a black hat, and sunglasses. At the time, police said Ashley may have been in the company of Alyssa Faye Bear, who was wanted by police, but that was never confirmed. Fifteen days later, police issued another press release. This time, they said Ashley's disappearance was considered suspicious. They said since Ashley was in regular contact with her family, it was out of character for her to just vanish. There was also a new piece of information, that Ashley may have been traveling to Lloydminster or Edmonton. However, they didn't say why they believed that, and that was never confirmed either. It was nearing the end of August and there were no leads in Ashley's case. Days, weeks, months passed and Ashley's family became incredibly frustrated with police. Krista told me that Ashley's family received so many tips from the public, but it seemed police weren't following up on a lot of them. She said there were multiple times when they'd asked police to attend searches with them, but officers wouldn't attend. The family felt like they weren't being heard and ended up turning to RCMP and surrounding communities for help, including Prince Albert, Saskatoon, and Regina. But there was only so much they could do to help. After all, Ashley's case was out of their jurisdiction, so Ashley's family was forced to wait for new leads, new tips, any information. Fast forward to May 12, 2019, the day Tiki Laverdier was reported missing and 10 months after Ashley disappeared. In the next two months, new information surfaced that would advance their cases. On June 10th, police were executing search warrants in North Battleford for Tiki's case. At this point, though, they're not releasing too much information because they don't want to compromise the integrity of the case. But they are saying Tiki's disappearance is suspicious. This is around the same time when Nicole, Tristan's mom, pleaded with the public to come forward with information on Tiki's disappearance. Now let's fast forward one more month. July 10th. It is exactly one year since Ashley Morin was last seen. On this day, North Battleford RCMP issued a press release asking the public for help identifying a white van that Ashley may have gotten into. 
She was last seen getting into this van on 96th Street and 16th Avenue in North Battleford at around 9.30 p.m. In the photo, which I will post to my Instagram account, at reportedmissingpod, they show an image of a two-tone van, lighter on the top, darker on the bottom, with no windows. You're probably thinking, well, where did this van come from? Why do police believe Ashley got into that van and why are they making this press release a year later? Well, I wondered the same thing, but I don't have the answers for you. Police likely received a tip that led them to finding the video footage of the van. And they must have had strong suspicion Ashley got in it, otherwise they wouldn't have made the press release. But there's a problem. Ashley's family wasn't notified of this van until they saw it on the news. How devastating for a family of a missing loved one to find a crucial piece of information about their loved one's disappearance on the news. And speaking of news, two days after this press release was issued, both Ashley's family and Tiki's family received news that would have them on the edge of their seats. Police were following up on leads for Tiki's disappearance and they went out to do a ground search just outside of North Battleford. They brought dogs, trained to find human remains, and thank goodness they did, because they found some. Both Ashley and Tiki's families were notified and an autopsy report was underway. Now, the families just had to wait. Finally, Four days later, on July 16, 2019, it was confirmed that the remains belonged to Tiki Lavardier. Even though Tiki was found, it wasn't the outcome anybody was hoping for. She was murdered, but no one had been arrested. At least not yet. Police acted quickly and it wasn't long before an arrest was made. Based on a timeline created by CTV News, on July 20th, four days after that autopsy report, a woman by the name of Shayla Ortner from North Battleford was arrested. She was charged with first-degree murder, kidnapping, interfering with a human body, and vehicle theft. Three days later, another arrest was made. Danita Thomas, 32 years old, also from North Battleford. Danita was charged with first-degree murder, kidnapping, interfering with a human body, and vehicle theft. Five days later, on July 25th, yet another arrest in Tiki's murder. Brent Chikosis, just 18 years old, also from North Battleford. Brent was charged with being an accessory after the fact to murder, interfering with a human body, and vehicle theft. Three people charged in connection with one person's murder is rare. But just when the public thought officers were done making arrests, they were not. What I'm about to tell you next is going to shock you. On July 28th, RCMP arrested Jesse Sangster, 23 years old. He was charged with being an accessory after the fact to murder and theft of a motor vehicle. 
Though not blood-related, Jesse and Tristan referred to each other as brothers. They were close, and people knew that, and Tiki and Tristan were friends, so the fact that Jesse would be charged in connection with Tiki's murder just doesn't add up. And if you think you've heard the worst of it, you haven't. On July 31st, RCMP make another arrest. They arrested Nicole Cook. If you don't remember who Nicole is, she is Tristan's mom. I know, things are getting really tense, confusing, and bizarre, really. I mean, Tristan's mom was the reason why Tiki left her family in Alberta. Her two boys, because she wanted to be there for her. She couldn't bear to see her friend's mother in pain because she is a mother herself, and she knew she had to be there for her. Nicole is also the woman who told CBC reporters early on that it wasn't fair Tiki was missing and that anyone with information should come forward. Now, Nicole is still innocent until proven guilty. I do have to say that. She hasn't been convicted of her charges, and we still have to wait and see if she was really involved in Tiki's murder. However, by looking at the events that are about to take place, it is becoming more likely that Nicole played a role in Tiki's murder. Nicole was charged with first-degree murder kidnapping, improperly interfering with the human body, and vehicle theft. I was keeping up with Tiki's case when she went missing. I knew about Tiki's case before I even heard of Ashley's case. When I found out this many people were arrested for her murder, I just couldn't believe it. Like the rest of Canadians, I couldn't believe it because none of it made sense. Then, on August 6th and 15th, Three more people were charged in connection with Tiki's murder. On the 6th, it was Soaring Eagle Whitstone, a 33-year-old. She was charged with first-degree murder, kidnapping, improperly interfering with a human body, and vehicle theft. The two others were Nikita Sandra Cook and Mavis Quinn Takakinu. Mavis was Tristan's cookum grandmother, who Tiki was staying with at the time of Tristan's funeral. These are all people who Tiki trusted, and she was just trying to be there for them. It really is tragic to find that a whole family could be involved in the murder of an innocent woman. But it's even worse when you know that Tiki wanted nothing but to be there for them and to be supportive of them. She didn't want to see them in pain. By August 15, 2019, eight people were charged in connection with Tiki's murder. Shayla, Danita, Brent, Jesse, Nicole, Soaring Eagle with Stone, Nikita, and Mavis. And before the end of the year, two things would change. The first is that Jesse's charges were upgraded to first-degree murder, kidnapping, and improperly interfering with a human body. The second is that Brent Chikosis pleaded guilty to accessory after the fact to murder, interfering with a human body, and vehicle theft 
in connection with Tiki's homicide. Now it's 2020. Ashley Morin remains missing. There are currently no new leads or breakthroughs in the case, but her family remains hopeful. Two months would pass and then new information came out that would send shockwaves across the community. In February, a man by the name of Corey Smuckum was on trial in Saskatoon for the attempted murder of Adrienne Lenny. Adrienne was one of Ashley's friends. He was also charged with sexual assault and choking to overcome resistance. According to local CTV reporters, Adrienne's mom testified that her daughter and Corey dated for about four months, and on October 13th of 2018, Three months after Ashley disappeared, Corey took Adrienne to a quad rally. Then they went to a restaurant for food and drinks. And at this restaurant, Adrienne's sister Ashley was working. Ashley testified in court that they both looked like they were having fun and everything was totally fine. Corey and Adrienne left the restaurant but came back later that night. This time, Ashley said Corey was acting really aggressive and was accusing Adrienne of flirting with other men. It wasn't long before the two left again. By 11 p.m., Adrienne's mom Carol was worried about her, so she called Corey and asked where she was. Corey told her that they were at a buddy's shop and that she shouldn't worry, but something felt off to her, so she persisted and continued to ask Corey where Adrienne was. Then, Corey hung up the phone. A few minutes go by and Corey called her back. He put the phone on speaker and said, Tell your mom you're dead. Tell her you're going to end up in a river like Ashley Morin. Carol called police right away and they found her daughter. There is a lot more to the story, but... Adrienne ended up surviving a brutal attack by Corey. He nearly killed her, and he ended up being found and arrested, thankfully. Again, Adrienne Lenny and Ashley Morin knew each other. So when Corey was accused of saying Ashley Morin ended up dead in a river, Ashley's family was devastated and heartbroken. So now you're probably wondering to yourself, what exactly came out of this piece of testimony? Was Corey further investigated by police for Ashley's disappearance? Well, if he has, police wouldn't make it public, and they certainly didn't tell the family whether or not they looked into it further. What I can say is that following Corey's five-day trial, he was found guilty of attempted murder. But he was not convicted on the charges of aggravated sexual assault and choking to overcome resistance. He actually has a hearing only one week away on October 13th to see if he will be deemed a dangerous offender. This could mean that he'll have an indefinite prison term. As for Tiki Lavardier's case, in January of this year, 2020, we learn that Nikita Cook will be on trial in 2021. Then in May of this year, 2020, again, we're still in 2020, so January... Nikita Cook's trial will be held in 2021. February, Corey was 
found guilty of attempted murder, and now we're in May. So in May, Mavis Takakinu and Brent were sentenced for their involvement in Tiki's murder. Mavis got an 18-month prison sentence, while Brent got seven years. Now, let's move forward a little bit to July 10th. It's the two-year anniversary of Ashley Morin's disappearance, and Ashley's family goes on their annual awareness walk from Saskatoon to North Battleford. There is also an update on Tiki's case. Another arrest. Charles St. Savard from Edmonton, he is arrested and charged with first-degree murder. So now, nine people have been arrested in connection with Tiki's murder. One month later, which would be in August of this year, the 10th and final arrest was made. Samuel Takakinu is charged with being an accessory after the fact to murder. He is 36 years old and he is Mavi's son. This is the same charge that Mavi and Brent received. So all three of them now are charged with the same thing. So now there's 10 people who are charged in connection with Tiki's murder. And like the rest of Canadians, I'm really just shocked, speechless and heartbroken for Tiki's family. There really isn't any other way I can put it. I mean, how... 10 people can come together and allegedly murder somebody is not something that I understand that I don't think any of us will ever understand now I do have to say not everyone has been convicted so far the only two people who have been sentenced are Mavis Takakinu and Brent Chikosis Mavis and Brent both pleaded guilty to accessory to murder after the fact Mavis got 18 months in prison and Brent got seven years So that's two people out of 10. And I know the difference in sentences is pretty huge. I mean, 18 months and seven years is a really big difference. But I'm not sure why they were handed different sentences. If I end up finding out, I will update you on Instagram. But there is a publication ban on sentencing hearings until everyone who has been charged with has gone to trial. So all of the evidence hasn't been made public yet. The other eight haven't been convicted yet. Nikita, Nicole, Shayla, Danita, Withstone, Jesse, Charles, and Samuel are innocent until proven guilty, and they will have their day in court. Some of them have scheduled preliminary hearings or pre-trials. A preliminary hearing is basically used to determine whether or not there's enough evidence to go to trial. Right now, actually, Jesse Sangster is having his three-week preliminary hearing in North Battleford and again there's a publication ban on sentencing hearings until everyone who has been charged has gone to trial so the media isn't allowed in the courtrooms during these hearings and we won't know the answers to a lot of the questions that you probably have until probably next year there is a lot of information that doesn't make sense well the whole thing doesn't make sense if I'm going to be honest but a lot of information will be cleared up once that publication ban is lifted. I know a lot of people are wondering if all 10 are related somehow or involved or how involved each person was, if there was some sort of mastermind, I guess you could call it, and of course, what happened to Tiki. I really don't want you guys to focus on that though. What I really want you to think about and remember is that these are real people and these are their real lives. It's not a movie, it's not a fictional story, and I really want the focus to be on the families and their resilience and strength during this unimaginable time. 
So please don't message the families and bombard them with questions for your own personal curiosity. And no, I don't have a discussion page. I've been asked that question a couple times before. Honestly, I do think that having those discussion pages is highly disrespectful. It can create rumors that are traumatizing for families to read. So I won't um, encourage that type of conversation. If you want to support the families, join the Facebook group Missing Ashley Morin and like the page Auction for Ashley. In this page, you will find multiple items up for auction with the proceeds going to reward money and to Tiki Lavadier's family for any expenses that need to be covered. Tiki's family has been in North Battleford this week attending Jesse Sangster's three-week preliminary hearing. So they are going through a lot right now, as you can imagine. Having to spend time and money in town so they can attend the hearing is a lot on them. So your support is greatly appreciated. And again, Ashley is still missing. So the more we talk about Ashley's story in a compassionate manner, the higher the chances someone will be encouraged to come forward with information. And if you are that someone, please don't be scared. You can submit a tip anonymously to Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. It's 100% anonymous. They literally can't track where you are or who you are. So if you have any information that could help to finding Ashley, please submit a tip. I will post an update on Jesse's preliminary hearing on my Instagram account. If there are any more convictions in connection with Tiki's murder, I will also keep you updated on that. And of course, anything new about Ashley will be posted on there too. My Instagram is at reportedmissingpod, so make sure to go follow me. My schedule has changed and I am no longer posting weekly episodes. If you want more information on that, please go check out my Instagram. I want to say a special thank you to Ashley's family and Tiki's mom, Carol, for talking to me for these stories. I can't imagine what you guys are going through right now. My heart goes out to you. Thank you for listening. Until next time.